Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. My patient today is Marquita Robinson. Marquita is a hilarious television writer. She writes for Blackish. Um, she's written for Glow and You're the Worst. And she's had a really cool life. She's lived in Okinawa, Japan, and she talks all about um, her travels and everywhere she's lived. And so you're in for a really good session. And while I have you, I just wanted to say, you know, if you're listening in iTunes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And also, if you like it, leave a nice review. And also, I know I'm asking a lot here, but I wanted to tell you that if you want to see what I eat for lunch every day, just give me a follow on Instagram at lunch therapy. All right. So without further ado, here is Marquita Robinson. All right, Marquita, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I feel like you're still in like the guinea pig stage of this podcast. Oh, yeah, I love it. We're still like figuring out what we're doing. But are you having fun doing it? I'm having so much fun. I mean, I I have to say I was accused in college. I had a fight with someone and they accused me of back porch psychology. Oh, yeah. And like that's what this whole podcast is. You're like, now I can just do it (laughs) and like make it a part of my official life and brand. It's great. Um, But now are you you're currently in the blackish writers room? I am like not at this minute because we're here. We're not. Yeah, it's not in your home. (laughs) But but I am in it um, contractually. (laughs) Yes, that's so cool. I mean, it's such a great show. I'm a fan. Are are you having fun? I am having fun. I I um I came up as a as an assistant Mm -hmm. in the sort of like TV Hollywood system, and my last assistant job was at Blackish. Okay. Um, and I came back like four years later, and I feel like a professor who's come back Uh to teach at her undergrad. Right. And like my um, like imagine like your advisors who were like really intense and like were really on it and whatever. Mm -hmm. Now they're like. Oh, welcome back. Very cool. Um, we're gonna go consult on other things. You guys got this right. Right. Isn't so that amazing? It's like kind of it's kinda of cool to come back and have responsibility and it feels like work I mean, it is working on a family show, but the feeling in the room to me is very family, so it's nice. And do you take a lot of pity on the assistants because you used to be one? I don't know if I take pity, but I <laughs> try to have some like continued awareness mm-hmm. of like, you know. It sucks, yeah. and the pay has not changed. Right. So, yeah. I'm always like, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you only an assistant on Blackish, or had you been an assistant on... I was an on... assistant on a few things. Right. I started as, um, as like, kind of a floater assistant at Disney while I was in film school, mm-hmm. and then I went to, like, working for a manager who had his own company, so I was wow. on, like, a high-volume desk. Then I ended up being a writer's assistant on a drama show that didn't live very long, and then on another drama show that didn't live very long... And then I was a research assistant on, uh, like a at midnight, like the social media game show. Oh my gosh! Well, I was going to ask since like, this is just like so much, <laughs> right? That's a lot. But there are more assistant jobs. But I'm curious, like as like this is like food podcasty. Like, did you have to order a lot of like crazy food things for people? Like very specific. Like I want a half calf. Like <laughs> occasionally, I, yeah. I was super lucky in that most of the jobs that I've had when I was support staff were not. Um, Foods like I was right. like, the sole person in charge of lunch every single day. I didn't have to do a full PA, but I have had to do sort of like 
um, you know, like non-fat latte mm-hmm. with cinnamon. Make sure it's not the pump. And I'm like, okay, uh, that's reasonable. Make sure it's not I the guess, pump. Like they don't want some cinnamon flavoring, but they want uh the powder. Oh, okay. And it's like, okay, cool. I think you should just have your own cinnamon. <laughs> just have it ready to go. Because how am I ever going to know how much you want? Oh, my and, God. Like, that's a really tough thing. And it's – I don't get cinnamon yeah. with, like, lattes. Sure. Because it, like, clumps up. Yeah. And I'm Although like, our last guest was this guy, Carrie O'Donnell, uh-huh. who – um He's a TV writer too, and his somehow his Starbucks order came up because his lunch was Starbucks. Oh, of course, and so his, you had to. Yeah, and he has like a venti, like iced coffee with two shots of espresso and cinnamon. So it just this, cinnamon the syrup. I or think the... the powder. I think okay, cinnamon okay, powder. Yeah, okay. I get. I totally get how people start to get very specific about their drinks because mm-hmm. I feel like they're telling Starbucks how to not fuck it up yeah. more than they are ordering a drink. Oh, interesting. You know, it's like, I want you to do a half, half a pump. Don't <laughs> yeah. do, it's like, learn how to season my drink uh-huh. is what it feels like. And it's, you know, I definitely believe in the, you've got male Tom Hanks, like little diatribe about like, it gives people a feeling of control over oh, the world. Totally. Absolutely. Um, not to, not to already bring up my favorite rom-com. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, it's so interesting about you saying that. I think that the scene of Tom Hanks and you've got male um, where he scoops all the caviar off the yes. side of the death is the best use of food to show character, I think, it in any is. movie. I agree. Yeah. It is absolutely perfect. And yeah. even I, I saw, I was so young when I saw it and was not in a world where I understood what caviar was. <laughs> like I knew what fish roe was because right. I grew up around like Japanese food, but I didn't uh. like understand like fancy rich caviar, uh-huh. but I knew that it was entitlement. So it wasn't right. until I got older and I was like, oh, that's, that's, oh yeah. Okay. I get it. I get, I, I get, how horrified I get the she meaning is by of yeah. caviar. Totally. Uh, but it's so like, it's so relatable too. It's like everybody wants a little of the fancy stuff. And it's like the fact that he's taking it all for himself. Yeah. It's such a great metaphor. That caviar too. is a garnish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can say so many lines from that movie and the exact <laughs> inflection that it is a, a, an illness. Oh, really? It's an I need to work on it. It's funny because it's based on the shop around the corner, mm-hmm. which I just watched for the first time. How did you feel about it? I loved it. I mean, a lot of people love the shop around the corner. And it, what's interesting about the, the shop around the corner is that they work in the same shop. Mm-hmm. And it like they're together a lot and they're writing letters to each other and don't realize it. But they have all, there's all that great banter and like the comedic dialogue back and forth. But in You've Got Mail, they're really separate. They're in, they like Nora Ephron kind of did a smart thing yeah. and made it about. Which is so strange to think about now that like the wars between like uh like an indie bookshop versus Barnes and Noble. Sure. And, like Barnes Noble is like find one that isn't being used primarily as a bathroom at this point. I know, yeah, they're really doing badly. Oh, and yeah. Indie bookstores are doing great. And <laughs> yeah, indie bookstores. I've had on shows a few times have had to have a bookstore location and the location manager is like, listen. There are no bookstores. Oh, really? Here are the three bookstore options. Oh, in LA, I guess there's like only there. There's like Skylight, there's Skylight Book, Soup. Book Soup. Oh wow! I guess we're Somebody, really struggling here. Yeah. I hope you don't have a friend who's listening to this. Like, why aren't you talking about my? Bookstore? My but no, I, I I love bookstores. There's an indie. There's like a used one in Atwater Village that I go to a lot. I just was there today. Atlas Books. Oh yeah. And what I love about it is they have all these incredible used cookbooks. I was gonna ask. Oh like, my What gosh. are you find? Are you finding old like? No, they have great ones. They're like truly great cookbooks that are some of my favorite cookbooks, and they're there, and like anybody can go there and get them for like half the price. So oh, I recommend goodness. it when you leave. You should go. I over need there. to get in. 
in there. Wait, so Marquita, I want to ask you before we get to your therapy session. Okay. All right. Now, I've mm-hmm. had you over for dinner before. You have. And we've been introduced to our friend, our mutual friend, Marcos. Marcos. But when he introduced us, it was because you are interested in food in general, right? It is because I am an amateur gourmet super fan. Oh, my God. That's why. I wasn't setting you up to say that. You were. Oh, yeah. Kinda. You weren't. You weren't. But you knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I am like, my first job in the industry was as an intern for a production company that was doing a lot of Food Network shows, uh, a lot of Bobby Flay shows. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of the most exciting, well, getting the job, uh, not knowing anything about the industry was the most exciting uh, part of the job. Okay. <laughs> and then getting there and working, you're like, okay, cool. I'm like making copies and Googling. <laughs> but le- leading up to that job, though, were you uh, were you like a Food Network fan? Like, were you I excited? was an intense Food Network fan. Okay. Like, I watched it as if it was the Cartoon Network. Like, mm-hmm. it was one of my primary forms of entertainment. I think a lot of people watch it that way. Yeah. You just sort of zen out and turn it on and whatever's on. Yeah, especially in the, like, early 2000s yes. where totally. uh, there was still, like, people were still, like, cutting their own onions on camera. Totally. Well, now PBS is where I go for that. Like, oh, yeah? Because if you go, I mean, right now on PBS on Saturdays, I actually, like, manually DVR it every week for some reason. Oh, it doesn't record. Fantastic. But it's all the stand and stir shows. It's like people standing behind that's a stove and stirring, which is what the Food Network used to be. I feel like Bon Appetit, uh, oh. their online presence has completely, like, I think they need to win awards mm-hmm. for really swooping in and taking over, like, a market that people weren't doing right yet. Yes, like, totally. Like, there are tons of, like, great taste made videos where you're like oh look at how easy that is or oh look at how horrifying you can make a fettuccine Uh but bon appetit is kind of like the content for people who loved the food network when they were still cooking cooking and are now like too far beyond the taste made videos where it's like i don't i don't want to necessarily do a cream of mushroom soup based anything Mm -hmm. unless i'm making it yeah so who are the people who are making that and who are the people telling us like what the shortcuts are or you know, who are writing articles about diamond versus... Yeah, <laughs> d- diamond kosher. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, diamond crystal, which diamond I just crystal. switched to, which is a whole ordeal. Did you... I switched mm-hmm. recently and was terrified. To yeah. Well, so you need scared. to use a lot more diamond crystal than yeah. you needed to use Morton's because yes. Morton's is super salty. And I had just like learned how to salt well okay. with Morton's. Uh, and it changes everything. And I think at the beginning, I was too timid with my diamond crystal mm. because... You know, with the Mortons, I wouldn't go crazy with it. Right. But now with Diamond Crystal, you can, I think that's why chefs like it's it. It's like you can build it. Yeah, it's you can not do like, more. Yeah. But wait, we were just talking about oh, Bon Appetit. So do you yes. watch those on your laptop or you watch them on I Apple TV? I watch them TV? on my phone oh. as I'm going to bed. Yes. Sometimes I'll give myself one, you know, Carla Lolly Music situation. Yeah. She was actually the first video that I saw that got me hooked. She did like... A, like a bin series where she would she would go to Whole Foods and get like grains from a bin. She's like, okay, this is what I'm cooking at home. Yeah. And she would actually go home. Oh, I, I, think, like, I don't think I saw that one. It's I, a great video. And yeah. I was like, this is what I want. I want like practical cooking mm-hmm. at home that shows me that I can make something good yes. quickly that isn't like sad. <laughs> and you know what's so interesting is like, again, this goes into the psychology part of all this, which is I think that people really respond to her confidence and the fact that like she knows what she's doing. Yes. Because I think like in all of our lives, like we don't know what we're doing in general. And it's like to see someone like, here's what we're doing and here's how you do this. Yes. It's so comforting. And um And she yeah. explains and and I I I think you talked about this with, with Jenny at some point. Oh maybe but, um Like the explanations of knowing when something is done, Mm -hmm. when something needs longer, what it sounds like, what it smells like. I feel like she has really kind of 
been a champion of that mm-hmm. that has helped me in my cooking. Yeah, totally. Because when, when you're like, it's two minutes. Okay, two minutes. Like, what is it supposed to look like? Yeah. And How do I know it's too late? Yeah. And the sense that she gives off that, like, everything's going to be okay. Like, everything's oh, going to yeah. be fine. Like, even if it gets brown around the edges or it gets black, on, it's like, it's going to be fine. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, right. That's a good reminder for people that it's not that big a deal. It's not that big of a deal yeah. because you're going to be doing this, hopefully, like, every night. Mm-hmm. Now, am I doing that every night? No, I'm not. But my higher self is cooking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so this is a great segue. Okay. You know, I, now, can I say, I hope you're not embarrassed, but you did say you were a little nervous I about am, this. I am nervous. But why are you so nervous? Because I like sharing. Yeah? But, what, but <laughs> why is I that? think that's a bad thing. Oh, I see. So you think you might overshare. I think so. But you know what? I actually had therapy this morning. Oh, you're, you're all set. <laughs> so I think I, I, yeah. I think it's covered. And also, like, you're not going to, I mean, I imagine you're not going to really share anything that's going to be that incriminating or, like, make people that angry I mean, about I'm not your gonna, lunch. I'm not going <laughs> to tell anyone where, like, the bodies are buried. <laughs> okay. Not that there are bodies. Oh, wow. So this really begs the question, like, what did you eat for lunch today? I uh, had a shabu-shabu with udon, and I had beef and bok choy and all those vegetables and shit. I love that. Wow. I, that's amazing. It was so good. And I had it so recently. Can you smell my breath? No, now I want to. Yeah, we'll do that later. Okay. Um, well, what I love about that, first of all, is like I've discovered with this podcast that a lot of people go to the places in my neighborhood mm-hmm. because it's obviously like close by. So they and go it's to very LA. Yeah. So the fact that you, I mean, I don't imagine you did this in my neighborhood, right? This is actually not far. Oh, it's not about far. eight to 10 minutes away from me. Wait, where did you, so where it's did you go? It's in Glendale, June Shabu Shabu. Um, I've been to a few Shabu Shabu restaurants in the area or mm-hmm. like just in LA. That one's my absolute fav- favorite in the world. It's so good. Can I make you, can I make a confession now please, on my own? Please. Even though I'm the therapist in this podcast, yes. I have never had Shabu Shabu. Thank you for admitting your ignorance and <laughs> yes. allowing me to explain. Please. Yeah. Tell everyone. Shabu Shabu is a Japanese soup, hot, like kind of a hot pot situation mm-hmm. where uh, Shabu Shabu, I think means shake, shake. So you get like a plate of thinly sliced meat Mm -hmm. and you put it in like a pot with like kombu, you know, like little dashi situations building. Mm -hmm. And you basically kind of swish your meat um, in the broth and then you dip it in a sauce, ponzu sauce or like goma, like a sesame sauce. And then you eat that shit. And then you get (laughs) you get a plate of vegetables and there are other things like, you know, there's like, you know, daikon radish and mm-hmm. garlic and other things that you can season it. But you're basically building a soup mm-hmm. uh, to your liking. If you go with other people, everyone has their own soup. Everyone stays in their own lane. <laughs> so wait, so you get a boiling pot and you front get a of boiling me. pot in front of you. Your individual boiling yes. pot. So you are cooking your own soup because you're going to eat that broth. Yes. After you cook all your so meat. As, so what I love about it yeah. is that as you're kind of eating the meat. And looking at like how you want to build your soup, you are still kind of exercising cooking techniques. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting there like, okay, I want broccoli. Let me put it in now because it's going to take a second mm-hmm. for it to whatever. And then as you're doing it, you're eating the meat, you're dipping in the sauce. Sometimes you have rice, sometimes you don't. And it's just nice. Yeah. It's really, it's really nice. Now, do you tend like my first thought about all this? Well, there's two things that are immediately coming to mind. Mm-hmm. One is that earlier you referenced growing up around Japanese food. Yes. So I, I, is there any Japanese asterisk? Okay. So I, uh, grew up for a good part of my childhood in Okinawa, Japan. Wow. So which, you, yeah. uh, yeah, which is Okinawa is kind of its own place, mm-hmm. but for most of my life, I've said Japan kind of as a shorthand to people. 
But in growing up and like going back, going to the mainland and like talking to people, I'm like, Okinawa is a very different place yeah. than mainland Japan. But there's still like flavors in all Japanese food that still feel comforting to me. Okay. So I often reach for Japanese food or, you know, any sort of like Korean food also as like a comforting sort of situation. Well, I want to keep going down this path, but yeah. the, I just want to say the other thing that was interesting to me is like mm-hmm. the interactivity of doing it. So yes. we can revisit that. Too. Yeah. Let's put a pin on that. Yeah. Put that. a pin on that. But let's go back to the growing up in Japan. So what were the circumstances or in Okinawa? Yeah. How did your family go there? So my dad was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So from my birth to about 12, 12 or 13. Well, no, younger than that. 12 or 13, whatever. We'll say 12 or 13. My dad was in the Air Force. So, mm-hmm. like, I was uh, stationed in Japan from, like, three years old until I was going into uh, seventh grade or okay. th- or uh, fifth grade. And where was So, your, six years. Six where years. was your family before that? New York. Upstate New York. Okay. So, I was born on a base in upstate New York. Gotcha. I'll give my social security number later. <laughs> um, but my dad's from Queens and my mom's from the Virgin Islands. And for a lot of my early childhood, I was in a separate culture from my parents. All right. <laughs> we were yeah. all in it together. But f- as far as I was concerned, that was my my childhood and my culture was living on an Air Force base in Okinawa where it was America on one side of the fence and it was Okinawa on the other side. And that yeah. was just like a normal part of life. And how does that form your psychology? I mean, like, how do you, because like even that, that image of the fence, like, mm-hmm. did you feel more at home on the American side of the fence? Did you feel more at home on the Okinawa side or did you form different identities for I th- both? I think every military family kind of handles being stationed abroad differently. Mm-hmm. The way my parents did it was we're going to be in this country and we n- may never be back here again. Mm-hmm. So let's always, let's go off base. Let's eat everything. Let's do things. That's amazing. So I grew up having like just, I have intense memories of where I grew up mm-hmm. because of how my parents kind of raised us. So for me, it was like all a part of the same thing. Like it was just like I had to learn what living in America, America felt like, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, it does. So it, it made sense to be like, oh, are we going to have dinner on on base or are we going to go to like the big soup place or are we going to go to the Mongolian barbecue place or are we going to go to the place that does like yakisoba? Like it was always a thing. And then, you know, I ended up like most of my relationships with local people were like people who owned restaurants. Right. Wait, so wait, were you eating American food though on, on the base? Like, was there like yeah, American, yeah. like burgers and French fries? So and stuff? on, on ba- a good, a good base mm-hmm. that's like trying to sustain like multiple families. And this base had like more than one high school. I think it was huge. Uh, they have like a club, like there's like the standard, like, uh, non-commissioned officer club, the NCO club, which mm-hmm. is like a white tablecloth old school restaurant. Okay. And for some reason, every single one of them is the same where it's like you get, there's a salad bar, soup and salad bar. Uh-huh. And like you have cold plates for your salad and they have like traditional stuff. And then they'll have like one or two like locally things. Okay. Um, but like it, a country club kind of feel or kind of, kind of, but really it's just like, like here's the restaurant that that always exists on a base right and sometimes like the one um my parents are in oklahoma now that's where my dad was last stationed and Mm -hmm. they ended up staying there 
Um, their, their club does, uh, like a crab leg buffet for Mother's Day and, okay. a, and like a barbecue buffet for Father's Day. Oh, that's so funny. And every time I call my parents on either of those days, they're like, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go get some crab legs. Wow. Okay. Now, is there a hierarchy on the base? Like, is it like the writer's room where it's sort of like, you know, like there's the executive producer, there's a lieutenant. Like, uh-huh. is there sort of like at, when you're eating at the different tables, is there like a sort of... Well, the clubs are... I, my understanding, and as I get older, the, the less I understand about how we grew up, uh, the enlisted people had their own club and mm-hmm. the officers have a kind of have a separate one. And your dad was an officer. My dad was not an officer. Oh, he was enlisted. He was enlisted. Enlisted, yeah. In the Air Force. Yeah, in the Air Force. Went straight in at 18 and then didn't leave until... 23 years later. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So was he go- flying off while you were growing up, like on missions? He, and um, stuff? So my dad was an air traffic controller. So he didn't really disappear mm-hmm. <laughs> as much like that. He was in the Air Force and retired around 9 11. Okay. After 9 11. So up until then, we were kind of in like a peacetime military where, of course, there was like action and he would go off for training for like maybe a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was kind of lucky in that he did not end up getting deployed. Um, and I asked my dad sometimes, like, do you ever feel like like you regret that you didn't go out with like your like squadron or whatever? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm around. Why yeah. would you ask? <laughs> yeah. So, wow, there's so much. Like, I feel like it's such an interesting backdrop. To grow up in both, like, psychologically and culinarily. Yeah. I mean, did your parents cook for you growing up on yes. the base? Okay. My parents uh, cooked, and they ended up picking up stuff from where we lived. Mm-hmm. So my mom's from the Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. So she cooked, like, she's from the Virgin Islands, and my dad's mom uh, was from North Carolina. Okay. So at some point, my mom had learned how to cook, like, traditional, like, southern black food, mm-hmm. which... If you're if you're from the islands, like like they have their own food, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily cooking the same stuff. So my mom was like, she could make curry chicken and chicken and dumplings and Johnny cakes and salt oh fish, God. but she could also like do like fried chicken and greens. And, and was mac it and amazing? Cheese. It was good. Yeah, yeah. It sounds yeah. like I'm literally getting hungry yeah, hearing it you is describe why, all that. It is why I'm fat. Like, <laughs> that and living in like really interesting food places. Sure. But my my parents like really had a taste for teriyaki sauce. Okay. After like they just started buying that like giant jug of like teriyaki sauce and they would like put it on everything. Uh-huh. Like after a while it was like we didn't have a steak or a burger or a rib or a chicken that didn't have like a little bit of it in it. Really? And not like the gooey like sugary one just like kind of the marinade. It's like Beyonce has like hot sauce in her pocket. It's yeah like, like there was the, just like it, it the was teriyaki just, wherever you yeah, go. Yeah <laughs> it was a remnant that followed us from there to we ended up moving to the Azores uh, mm-hmm. for two years and then we finally moved back to the States in Oklahoma and we were still like, my parents were still marinating all of their meats and teriyaki. That's so cool. I mean, like, <laughs> it makes me wonder, like, what is a taste of home for you? Like, when you think of like the taste of home, is it Asian cooking? Is it your mom's Virgin Islands cooking? Is it Southern food? Is it you know? It's it's basically everything. Yeah, which is why I can't stop eating. Um, <laughs> it's it's everything. Yeah. Like there there like Japanese food, like just the basic like. Soy soy sauce and like 
sesame and like those sorts of flavors mm-hmm. on anything like make me feel like I'm at home mm-hmm. but so does like plant like fried plantain and I just kind of eat everything so you're sort of like a melting pot of a person like yeah. you just have all these influences yeah. in you but what, now it makes me think about like what, what do you cook when you cook for yourself when I cook for myself I cook uh, at this point whatever Bon Appetit tells me to cook so mm-hmm. I feel like they decide what I eat at this point because okay. I can't I can't do any more but I end up veering more towards Asian food mm-hmm. or uh, like big meats that I can then do a lot of stuff with. Okay. So I'll make a roast chicken, uh-huh. not totally uninfluenced by your uh, seasoning mix from your roast chicken post. That was like an old, I mean, in the one old, with, with like, like cayenne kind of, pepper. I, yeah. That, I wow, never, that's really old school it's really amateur old. gourmet. I My never, I, I had like a phase where I was really trying to be a roast chicken person because I felt like I needed, I was making like chili and like soups and pastas. And I was like, I need to know how to make like a big meat. But have you ever done Thomas Keller's, the one that I also have on my blog? I have not done Thomas Keller's. Oh my God. Well, the secret to that is that it's all about the vegetables underneath the chicken. And you put like... What um, do you do, like ramps or something? No, no. You do carrots, parsnips, um, rutabagas, little red potatoes, but... It's the most incredible thing. Onions, garlic, and then all the chicken fat and, and then butter. then he lays it on top. No, no. You no? just dip the vegetables on the bottom, chicken oh. on top, and then a stick of butter or like six tablespoons of butter on top of the chicken and it all melts and it gets brown. That sounds beautiful. I'll make it for you sometime. I will I will absolutely take you up on that. Yeah. It also has a lot of root vegetables that are not indigenous to my life. Oh, like interesting. Like parsnip and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's that sounds like, oh, that sounds right. And I'm like, there's never been a a point in my life where I've reached for one. Okay. <laughs> like it's just never been in my life. But a parsnip life. gets so sweet and caramelized and like, and Say no earthy more. and wonderful. I am sold. It's so good. I am sold. And um, wow. Okay. I do, I do a version of like, I never used fennel seeds in the seasoning before. And mm. then I saw that and I was like, Oh, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. But the cooking method I use is the New York times one where you basically like break the thighs and you heat up a cast iron pan uh, at like 500 degrees yeah. and then you just throw it in, uh-huh. which I, I love. Melissa Clark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's great. It's so good because I was like, I want to not uh, try hard. I don't yeah, want to yeah. work hard. And you just like, turn it on super hot and you throw it in and then you put it in the oven and it's done so fast. And then you're like, I'm a genius. (laughs) And people come over and they're like, Oh my God, you're, you're, you're a, you're a wizard. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Well, you can believe that you're going to have to make, why don't we do like a chicken, like side by side? Like you'll make that. I'll make mine. We will, you'll have to, just take the batteries out of your smoke alarm. Oh, believe me. I've, <laughs> these are constantly taken out. Oh, my goodness. Wait, so now, Marquita, okay. Now, yes. I feel like we're, like, skimming the surface. We are. A little bit. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, like, I don't know yet if I've, like, gotten into your psychology. Psych- yeah. Because, like, what is the impact of growing up in, on an army base in Okinawa? Uh, I think the impact is that you're raised with a specific idea of what America is. And then at some point you actually get there Mm. and there's a huge difference. So on a military base overseas, a big one, you're probably experiencing not now, I would say not in the Trump era, but when I grew up, it was probably the closest to the ideal version of of America you can get. Mm -hmm. Everyone is being paid on a scale that everyone's aware of. Everyone has housing covered and paid for I did not realize that people paid for medication until I moved to the States when I was in junior high. So to to have like this idea that, 
oh, uh, as a child, you know that your parent could die for this country that you believe in. And then you get to the States and you're like, some things do not add up at all mm-hmm. is pretty tough. I would say that if you're if we're looking for like a like a deep sort of uh, whatever, I would say that's 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 the impact. The other impact is that it's nice to grow up outside of America mm-hmm. and to hear people. Also, I grew up like with all kinds of mixed kids, mm-hmm. all kinds of like kids from different backgrounds and different regions and and a lot of kids who ended up being like uh, half half American, half a, a kid from like Germany because their parent met someone in Germany. So there were a lot of like multilingual kids. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to experience what America could be. So it's almost like you had this ideal, ideal. I was about to say idealistic, but it wasn't idealistic because it was really happening in yeah, front of you. So it yeah. was really like, it's this, a culture that doesn't really exist, yeah. but is extremely American. It was like a utopia of sorts. A but little so, bit. But what was so? Where did you go after Okinawa? Like, where did your family so move? After Okinawa, we went to the Azorian, Azorian Islands. Uh, there's a base that's no longer. Uh, it's it's closed down, but there's a Portuguese base there that Americans kind of ran. Okay. So it was a janky situation, and it was only like a two year tour or a two year uh, assignment, and it was. Bizarre. It was bizarre. Where are the Azorian Islands? They're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, Atlantic. Okay. So it's uh, Anthony Bourdain did a Parts Unknown there. Really? He also did one on Okinawa that made me weep. And then the one he did in the Azores was so perfect because he was like, a lot of the things here are great, but then there are also points where he was like so uh, disappointed. Really? <laughs> and I was like, that's such a great uh, kind of not. I'm not shitting on the Azores. I'm shitting <laughs> on like how Americans come to a place and they're like. Yeah, this this is a remote place, and things are special here because it's remote sometimes. And what was the culture like? I mean, what's the, the food culture like? The culture is so everyone speaks Portuguese, and but it's they're similar to Okinawa, like they're their own people, mm-hmm. and the food is bomb. So it's like they make their own bread, and like bread and butter is like on the table, and it's delicious. Wow. They're cows, bulls everywhere. It is like I basically like walking to school was like. Oh, we can't go that way because the cows are out. <laughs> or like, oh, uh, uh, recess is canceled because the cows are on the. That's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> but they also had great dishes that were like, uh, there's this dish like pork and clams. Oh, I've had that. Which is just like so good and so brilliant. Yeah, I do that sometimes. I'll, I'll go to McCall's, the butcher here, and oh, I'll, yeah, I'll just yeah. buy sausage and um, and brown it, and then add clams and wine and stuff. It's good. That's so smart. I mean, it was like pork chunks. Oh my god! Yeah, wow. Like, just delicious food. They like a lot of like uh, swordfish mm-hmm. with like butter, parsley, lemon sauce. So were you and- craving the food of Okinawa when you got to the Azores? Were you like missing no, that, we're, that food? Sometimes. But uh, moving from Japan to a more remote place in that's technically Europe mm-hmm. was so jarring that I think that I had to shut off a lot yeah just to get through it because it's a new language uh we were like there were like cobblestone roads and like no electric stoplights really so it was like i was dealing with like serious serious culture shock um and how old were you i was t- uh 10 10 11 okay. 9 10 11 so you're still like young still enough young. you can do that and not be like going through all the hormonal changes yeah but that. i was like very much uh who i am in like a little body mm-hmm. so i like 
much I was a person. <laughs> I have a question. This has nothing to do with food, but like sure. knowing that you write for TV and that you're part of our popular culture, were you? Oh God! Were you? Were you? Were you keyed into pop culture, like American pop culture, so this throughout is, all this? This is a great question. Thank you. In I the do state, my best. Yeah. yeah, you're killing it. Okay. In this, in Okinawa, we didn't have cable until, I guess. We lived without cable for like a year or two on the base period. Mm -hmm. So there were like a lot of Japanese channels. You could get like Cartoon Network, like, but a different region. Mm -hmm. And then we got cable and I was plugged in. Okay. And I was like, I love this. This was like MTV, uh, VMAs, Fiona Apple giving her like none of this matters speech era. Okay. So I got like incredibly addicted to American culture and even like, didn't sometimes like popular shows came on and they weren't on the actual networks. Mm-hmm. They'd be on like the air force network. So I didn't have an awareness of like what was NBC and what was whatever, but I was in it. And you were probably like extra curious about American pop culture because yes. you were so far away from America Yeah, and you probably wanted to like, I mean, I would you imagine wanted, it made no. you extra like eager to like understand it. And totally. It. Yeah. And it like seems fun because it's like, Oh, uh, people can just go to a Michael Jackson concert, you mm-hmm. know, like, which I would have no will to do today if you were alive, but, right. uh, like people could just go see things mm-hmm. that it wasn't like a, oh, that's not here. Yeah. Or, oh, you want to go to this store? That store doesn't exist here. Or mm-hmm. you want to do this? There was a lot of that. Um, but when we moved to the Azores, there was no cable. And that means that you never see commercials. You only see, uh, this thing that, uh, military brats know really well which are like military made commercials. Really? One that sticks out that's related to food is that there's one infomercial or a PSA about eating before you go to the grocery store so you don't overspend. Oh my god, a PSA. <laughs> it's a PSA. That's this hilarious. Woman is in the commissary which is what we call the grocery store on a base and she's like just like buying stuff and then she's looking at like the candy bar aisle and then the candy <laughs> bar like becomes like some kind of candy bar suit. Oh my God. And this is like, I don't know who, where, like what corner of the military is making these. Yeah. But the guy would be like, oh man, you didn't eat before. <laughs> just crazy. Just, That's so funny. So two, year, two years of that. And it was such a small place that we people would watch the evening news at like CNN headline or something. And uh, we'd get like a clip of a Burger King commercial accidentally, and then it would go away. Uh, and then the next day, everyone was talking about it in like it, in church, at work, at school. Like it about be, seeing that little clip? just seeing a moment of a Burger King commercial. Oh my god! So it's like a very. I feel like you were like on the Truman Show or something, like where you're. No, like, I this, was like the secret, like I was like enclosed world that it's, it's like somebody's like in a tower controlling all the media. Yes, and all the, yeah. I was so much in a Truman Show that when I finally moved to the states i didn't realize like what eminem's first actual single was or what like i had like a hard time placing like when things had happened like i knew he existed but i was like oh he had a song before this song or Mm -hmm. like because it was around where like him and britney spears and christina aguilera popped and i was like oof. but it's so interesting because like having been in a writer's room and like having like watched blackish it's like it's the skills that you need like were, were those very skills it's like to be you know referential or to understand pop culture be able to pitch things so it's like i feel like you must have really studied up on a lot of that when you got here you just become a natural sponge yeah and and like as a child you end up going like what are the rules of this place like how do like 
So what was the next stop after the Azores? Oklahoma City, which is where I ended up growing up. Okay. And how old were you then? I was, I think I turned 12 there. Okay. So you really did grow up in Oklahoma. I really did grow up in Oklahoma. So you got to Oklahoma after living in this strange place. And I, yeah. And were you like, did you fit right in immediately or was it Absolutely not. Yeah. Not like, not at all. Like I just, it's a different culture from what my dad grew up in, what my mom grew up in. So we were all, and it was like. I'm in America now. Mm-hmm. So there are things that were just givens when I lived overseas that didn't exist. How long after the Oklahoma City bombing were you there? A while. I was in Japan as a kid when the bombing happened. Okay. And I didn't move to the States until 2000. Gotcha. Okay. I was so, just curious if that was, so like it was a part a while. of the backdrop. So like it, yeah. everyone had this memory there of yeah. like, oh, it's like when the bombing happened. And I was like, I was on a resort in Okinawa, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. I was eating um, whatever you were eating. Shabu Shabu there. Did you eat Shabu no, Shabu in, in Okinawa? I did not. Oh, okay. I did not. I If they had it, we did not. My parents did not go there. We were all about the... Um, like soba, like they uh, have okay. like this amazing soba situation that I think about a lot. And also this dish called taco rice. Whoa, what's Do that? Do you know taco rice? No. It's a fantastic dish that is a great example of how uh, American cultures and the like whatever local culture they're in clash together. Uh-huh. But taco rice is basically uh, rice, like, like short grain rice cooker rice that you get. And then you put... Uh, taco seasoning and ground beef and then you do lettuce tomato and <laughs> shredded cheese and maybe some ranch that and that is delicious. a dish but that sounds like so smart like i would make that for dinner here it is so good yeah. and it's kind of like a not a national dish but it's like an okinawan dish but it's also like, like you could get of, in a restaurant it feels like a bowl like it feels like like you could serve that like at a bowl or restaurant just like a little naughty yeah. yeah yeah but it's it's basically like uh, here's some American shit. We put it on rice. Yeah. And it's good. So, okay. So you get to Oklahoma City. Yes. You're 11 years old. Yeah. And you start school there. Mm-hmm. And like, what's the, like, I want to hear about like the culture shock of it all. Maybe like school lunch. Like, were you bringing food that nobody recognized or what was going on? I, you know, my mom um, was so ahead of the idea that if I brought like some of the food that she made to school that I would get made fun of that she like was really good at like it's not happening you're gonna get you're gonna really? take this okay that's interesting. yeah I didn't and I didn't really realize it until later and sometimes I would insist on it and I would be like okay so maybe salt fish in the school microwave is not what <laughs> people want to be a part fish? of you know salt fish I know like salted cod like it's basically that yeah. that they make in the islands and then like they boil off the salt and then you cook it and like a lot of butter and onions mm-hmm. and thyme and like scotch bonnet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, kind of. And then, and then, um, like you boil, you make dumplings and you boil them and you put it on top. It's very white, like white on white yeah. food, but it's so good. That sounds really good. <laughs> it's so Wait, good. so your mom knew. So what did she make for you? Did she make like peanut butter and jelly or something? She, like that? I ate what was at the school. Okay. But mostly my focus when I got to the States, honestly, was McDonald's. Uh-huh. Like there was nothing I wanted more in my life. Than McDonald's at any point. I didn't have a McDonald's in the Azores. There's one McDonald's off base in Okinawa. We didn't go much. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were so like kind of remote in the Azores that sometimes people would take trips to mainland Europe, like mm-hmm. to go to Spain. And people would be like, please bring me back chicken nuggets. <laughs> it's, it's like a three, four hour flight, I think. Yeah. So I 
just wanted to eat McDonald's so, so bad. Did you have a? Do you remember like getting to Oklahoma City and like having a McDonald's there? I think being... it's the only food I remember having in the first year. Okay. Like the only memories I made were over that. And was there a specific? Was it chicken nuggets? It was absolutely chicken nuggets. I don't think I ate anything. It's chicken nuggets, fries, sweet and sour sauce, mm-hmm. and a Coke. I remember that. Um, I was remembering growing up because my parents took me to McDonald's too. I was remembering that orange drink. Like it was like yeah, high C. But I remember loving that growing up. And I, I haven't had it as an adult. I mean, I haven't had I it recently. I hated it, but sometimes I would get it. I I was a big orange soda lover growing up before uh, Kel, like the I do, I do, I do, love orange soda guy. Uh-huh. Um, but I would sometimes try to make it with Sprite, and I would do like a little bit icy. Oh, Sprite. wow. That's, that's... Oklahoma is like you become an expert in fast food. Mm-hmm. But one thing that blew my mind when I moved there was Sonic. Okay. Uh, which when you talk to people about Sonic here, I, it's either like I'm frustrated by their, <laughs> by their uh, commercials and oh, the yeah. fact that I can't get it or that the food is bad. And I would say it's not about the food. It's about the drinks. Really? What's, what's so good about the drinks? The drinks are, you can make anything. You can have like a cherry Coke with like a little bit of grape and some <laughs> strawberries in it. You can have a butter, a butterfinger banana shake. And it's like if it, it's, I feel like the LA area would have better mental health if uh, we had Sonics where people could go and have the same kind of control that they have over their Starbucks, but over all types of drinks and desserts. So this is only time. true in Oklahoma City? That no, can... it's everywhere at any Sonic. Oh, so people but, can do it. They but just the don't culture do of Sonic is alive in Oklahoma. I see. Where it was founded. So what was, what was your Sonic drink? My Sonic drink was uh, a lemonberry slush Easy Ice. <laughs> or a lem- lemonberry... Hold on. I'm mixing them up. It's been so long. Since yeah, no, Sonic. this is interesting. I would get a strawberry limeade easy ice mm-hmm. or a lemonberry slush. Okay. Lemonberry slush is just like a, like a strawberry with real strawberries doused in sugar. <laughs> like uh-huh. Sweet and sugar. blended up with lemon. Blended up with a lot of lemon. Oh my God. I made a lemon. I made a strawberry sorbet with a whole lemon in it. I See, I would have loved that. No, I have it right now. You I'm have gonna, it I'll now? give you some before oh you go. Oh my it's God. It's really good. Yes. Before you leave. I yeah. don't know if a therapist is supposed to give the patient. I will take it. I yeah. like this sort of unprofessional therapy. I'm, I'm already unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. I've already talked about myself. So, okay. I feel like now we've got to do some work here because Yes, we're you know we're not running out of time a lot, but like I I do want to start to like piece together like these elements okay. into like a fully formed psychological portrait through the prism of food. Let's do it. So I feel like you have is the word alienation of a word that's because right? I'm trying to think, like did you feel alien coming from Okinawa and um, fish out of water? Fish out of def- water. Definitely yeah. a recurring theme in my life. And yeah, so did, feeling ha- on the outside of. A complete whole culture. That, that's what I'm interested in. So, like, mm-hmm. do you carry that with you to even today? Like, do you still have remnants of that? Definitely. Okay. I, 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 it's very rare that I feel like I am sitting in a room of people that I feel similar to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not saying that, like, I have amazing friends. And I think coming to LA, having a queer community mm-hmm. and having to, like, think about the last time I hung out with a straight person is kind of nice, (laughs) you know, or whatever. But I never get the experience of like, if you're from New York or you're from South Jersey or wherever, like there's a room of people who know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about your life. I don't have that a lot. But is the, 
shabu shabu. I mean, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but like, is is Asian culture sort of the closest thing you have to that sense of like community or like a feeling? Of no, it? I would say that it's just a part of yeah. a lot of things I experienced when I was young, mm-hmm. and I don't feel I love Japanese food. I love Asian food. But it's more of like a, this is a tiny piece of like a very big tapestry. Sure. I don't feel a part of it at all. Yeah, or, or, or even I, like, like it's fully comforting to me. Uh-huh. But a soup itself is comforting. A, a Japanese flavors are com- comforting. And the ability to kind of feel like I'm actually cooking mm-hmm. when really I am not. Yeah, let's, let's hear nice. more about that. So, yeah. like, so what what is appealing about that? Well, I haven't cooked cooked in a while okay. so i had my birthday over labor day weekend happy birthday thank you went to palm springs oh. my mom my grandma and my sister came and most of the time i just cooked and were you burning up was it like 115 degrees there? it was hot but there was a pool and the ac was very nice yeah that's it was nice. so nice okay but i found myself like just caring about what we were eating so what did like, you I make? was making guacamole mm-hmm. i made like a like a salad with like I made my own salad dressing with like a ton of herbs in it and mm-hmm. I just picked up a rotisserie chicken and I was like I'm not trying to work that hard and like kind of like put it together mm-hmm. I made like just like pasta pasta sauce like I just made stuff and is your family breakfast. an easy audience for that or do they criticize or I think my family has learned to just be like Marquita wants to do it and she's going to have very specific <laughs> needs and thoughts on it. So if she's going to do it. Just let her do it. Does your mom still cook herself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They like she, they cook, but they also, you know, they've, they found their haunts in Oklahoma that they really love. Mm-hmm. My parents used to make a big breakfast all the time. Now they go to this place, Don's alley and it's Don's alley. Don's alley. What which is, is it? Just like, I the last time I went, I couldn't eat fat. Like I was trying to cut out fat sure. to feel better, and the only thing I could order was oatmeal with nothing on it. <laughs> and when I was like, "Can I get an oatmeal with nothing?" and the waitress was like, "Are you, are you sure? <laughs> you don't want, you don't want, you don't want no milk or nothing? Right. Like no, no, no. But it's just like French toast and butter. <laughs> Don's Alley is just a very unappetizing name for a restaurant. I know, Don's I know. Alley, yeah, but they're great. They have a great chicken soup that just has a layer of fat on top that's like so good <laughs> wait so before we finish though on your like autobiography or your, your biography or biographical details yes. so we went to oklahoma mm-hmm. and then where did you go after that i went How- to virginia for college for college okay went to lexington virginia washington lee university and how was that uh you know it's robert e lee's school so it was very interesting oh my gosh yeah. um there are like maybe 60 six black people in the undergrad out of so we were many? all best friends yeah. out of like uh 1500 I don't I, I would say the incoming classes were about 450 to 500 people and did you go there knowing that yeah I knew go- I knew it was between Vassar and WNL and WNL gave me way more money okay were you concerned though about it being a Robert I was Lee concerned school? but I had never I'd never gone to a school that was mostly white before mm-hmm. so I think I thought I could handle it because the high school I'd went to was already half white, okay. but it wasn't until I got there where I was like, oh, having like a very mixed high school is not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was tough and the food was like rough. Yeah. Tell me about the food. The food that was like Southern food there was good, but it was like very like white proper Southern food, if that makes sense. No, tell me more. Like the I, fry, I love that. It wasn't like. I mean, I love hearing about you that because that's fried, so interesting to me. It's it's tough because it's it's um 
in the Shenandoah Valley. It's like a very specific place and it's gorgeous. It's super gorgeous. There's a song about it. There's a song about it. It's actually the school song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shenandoah. Um, which, yeah. yeah, I hear that. A choir does it and I do cry. It's yeah. a beautiful song. It is very pretty. But it wasn't, didn't have a lot of diversity in food. Mm-hmm. There was one Japanese restaurant that opened that had sushi and it was so bad. Really? And it was, and it made me, it kind of like my soul died a little bit. There's a little bakery there that does like some like Jamaican beef patties and kind of Caribbean food, but it wasn't like the Caribbean food that my mom made. So that made me sad. But what's the white, the white version of Southern food is what? What does that mean? Uh, It means like kind of refined, Mm -hmm. not in a fun, like you've elevated way, but kind of in a, sad way yeah and some of the food i really liked like there are restaurants like the bistro there that i love that did shrimp and grits that were great but like when you order fried chicken you want fried chicken Mm -hmm. you don't want something that you're going to end up eating with a fork and knife i think and it felt like there was there was a lot of fork and knife that's interesting sort of food there so as you're telling your story i mean it feels like you had to like morph your identity a little bit or you had to adjust your identity in each place you went so find something that I could like claim as an identity just so that I could make up my own hometown Mm -hmm. basically. But that's a skill. I mean, to get through your life, to be able to be adaptable, especially like working in LA, it's like to get thrown into a writer's room with a bunch of different people. It's like, you've honed that skill really well. Yeah. Of just like, I moved, I moved a lot in my life. And that's why TV is good for me because mm-hmm. I'm constantly moving around shows. So is uh, Virginia the last stop before LA? Yeah. Oh, I great. went straight from undergrad to film school out here. And did you go, where, which film school did you I go? went to USC. I was in the Stark producing program. That's amazing. That's yeah, a great school. It was cool. So when you got to LA, I mean, it feels like this is where I met you. Mm-hmm. So the story comes full circle. Full circle. And is eaten everything in the world (laughs) you've been around the world but i mean do you feel like this is where you fully became yourself i think between here and when i interned in new york Mm -hmm. but i i turned 22 here Mm -hmm. so and i've i've lived here for like nine ten years so i'm like this is basically where i'm from i've lived here longer than i've lived anywhere in my life Mm -hmm. so i i like it here and i feel like it is strangely a part of like my childhood, and I, <laughs> I feel like in, LA, a, in a way, but LA my is twenties like, childhood. It's such a strange um, city because it's also like such a hodgepodge, such a mixture of people, and but it feels like that suits you it's really. It's perfect. Well. Yeah, it's perfect because large immigrant communities are the best mm-hmm. because they have their own infrastructure and. There's so many people making their own food for themselves, Mm -hmm. not for outside people, not to appeal. Like I felt like in a lot of places I lived, the food was kind of catered towards someone else's palate. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of places here that do a little bit of both or just like, who are you? Like who's walked into my restaurant? And that's that's awesome. And the way they inform each other and influence each other, kind of like when I was talking about taco rice, like I love the foods that have come out of L.A. that are purely LA because there are two or three different immigrant communities oh, yeah. kind of rubbing against like each Roy other. Choice, like Roy Choi's like taco truck yeah. or like Korean t- tacos. I I love that shit. Yeah. I think it's I think it's great. I think actually this is the perfect city for you. It is it's actually perfect. And um I I embrace it. Every fl- every flaw. <laughs> so what is your like 
food life like in LA? I mean, you went, you went to Shabu Shabu today mm-hmm. for lunch, but I mean, are you often going into different cultures, into different cuisines? And I do. I go out. I go out a lot. I I have like a, a rotation of like I'll go. I'll get um, ramen. Mm-hmm. I'll do an udon situation. It's just all going to be Japanese food. Yeah, that's. Really uh, but true. I also like love Son of a Gun. I think we talked about this before, uh, where I have like and I love all of the. John and Vinny type restaurants because mm-hmm. I think they're so good and so consistent. Wait, where do you go for ramen? What's your favorite ramen? Um, I love a few places. Okay. Sujita, uh, both original and the annex I like. Well, the annex is right down the street from me. So. Oh, you have an annex so close. Yeah, in the uh, Americana Mall. You're taking over. They're yeah. taking over. It's really good. But I like their Sukaymen because mm-hmm. it seems, uh, as far as it, some of the closest to like Tokyo – so you came in. It's not as fishy as like some places in Tokyo. And that's for people who don't know. It's like where you dip where the noodles. Where you dip it. The su- the broth is like super thick, and mm-hmm. the noodle noodles are cold, and then you dip it in. And it's I would eat noodles beautiful. for every meal, basically. Like I could oh yeah, just eat that any all the culture's time. noodles too. Mm-hmm. Like there's not. I don't think I've met a noodle that I've told to walk out the door. <laughs> I mean, literally, I've never said that. <laughs> Get out of here, noodle. Get out of here, noodle. Yeah. At least I'm like, let me just, I'll try out. I'll so try you, it. But you were saying, so like ramen, udon, John and Vinny. So you'll, I mean. Or like, and and for a while, like not anymore as much, but burgers. Mm-hmm. Like a good, a good, whether it's like father's office burger or an In-N-Out, mm-hmm. du- like double, double animal style. I'm into those too. Oh, wow. But then I also go to like kind of the bougie places, like. Like Republic and stuff, where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm paying this much money for oh someone else to roast a chicken for me. <laughs> so expensive, but it's so good, and they catch yeah. the drippings and give you yeah. bread with it. Yeah, and one of my favorite places was Fiona, mm-hmm. which you had um, Nicole Rucker on yeah. for. If I if if Fiona was still with us, I would have gone there for lunch 100. percent Oh, like it would have been, and it would have just been like, oh, of course I'm going to go here. I believe she's going to have a new place. I mean, I just feel like it's inevitable. I'm, re- I'm, yeah. I'm ready for it. I'm yeah. like. So upset that so many great places close or turn over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I Cape Seafood was another place. Oh, yeah. Wow, we had a lot of similar things. Oh, yeah. Now, would you ever want to open a restaurant? I would uh, if I had – I would give money to – but I don't think I can personally do it. I feel like they're professionals. <laughs> Are you inviting me to be the chef at your restaurant? Is yes. It? Okay. But I, I mean, I do like sometimes when I like – talk out loud about how I uh, want to quit all of my jobs uh, at, wor- at work in front of my bosses. Yeah. I'll say like, I need to do what like James Murphy did, that LCD sound system front man and just open a wine bar in Brooklyn. Is that what he did? Yeah. He has a wine bar with like food and it's fantastic. Oh. It's so nice. I feel like that's everyone's fantasy. But it's everyone's I, fantasy. But I feel like 90% of those businesses like close within like six months. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's hard it's and it's really so much hard. money and people don't like, People will like things. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about how much they like it more than they go. Yeah. Or they'll complain about how expensive it is rather than say, okay, what, how can I support a local business and, you know, like put it in my budget? You know what I I'm just, saying? I just think about like how <laughs> awful, I won't say who, but some of my family members have been in restaurants. And, oh, yeah. And it's like, I couldn't handle I that. I don't love people enough. Yeah. I don't think I could deal with I think with dinner that. parties are the closest you can get to all of it. Or yeah. even just like, Sometimes I'll be like, I don't have it in, in me to cook, but come over. I have like three bottles of wine that I really like that I want everyone to try. Mm-hmm. And it's a way for me to control what we're drinking. <laughs> well, also, it's like there's such a difference between 
cooking for people out of love and then cooking for people and having them pay and you business. to do yeah because it's a different thing it's, yeah and the culture of uh patron to restaurant is so imbalanced and kind of fucked up where mm. there's so many people who treat going out to dinner like a like a game like yeah. what can i get out of this dinner sure that like i would be like get out yeah. get out i'm not giving that to you for free you ate half of it like i get wouldn't be able to handle it but i'm curious with all your background you know food influences like what would your restaurant be oh god i have no idea i think it should have a little of everything it should have some of your mom's cooking it should have some japanese it would it would probably be like foods from all of the places i grew up with like some sort of connecting theme mm-hmm. and they're like some like ingredients that are common like pork is pretty common throughout all of them yeah. and just there would be there would be at least two curries on that. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Besides the fast food though in Oklahoma City, was there any other food there? Like Oh, there's great I I like barbecue yeah. in Oklahoma. No one talks about Oklahoma barbecue, but they have good barbecue. So the barbecue there. Okra was the thing that I didn't really come to know very well until Oklahoma. I'd mm. had fro like Oklahoma. Listen, Sorry, you I, knew I, it. <laughs> you, this is a podcast. Yeah. I in your face. I saw you regret it before you even said it. <laughs> I don't regret it. I love it. Oklahoma, come Oklahoma. on, yeah. But fried okra yeah. and like apple dumplings, Ooh. just like like fritters with like powdered sugar on top. Uh-huh. There's good food at Oklahoma, and I always like threaten my friends to like do a full trip. Oh baby! I think uh, Winston is throwing up on the floor. He really oh, didn't no, like my. Winston. He, he did not like my joke See, at all. Oh. Someone knew. Winston, what are you throwing up? Are you okay? It's I just think like he's the, okay. It's like the cutest little bit of throw yeah, up. It's just a little bit. Yeah, I think he he was eating chicken bones in the grass. Somebody threw a chicken up. <laughs> This is all staying in, by the way. We're not cutting any of this. Oh um, well, Marquita, we're nearing the end, but I okay. always end. Actually, I have a little question real right. fast, and then I'll ask the question I ask at the end, which is, where are you going for dinner? Maybe you know, know that because maybe you listen to the other ones. But if you didn't know that, I'll ask you in a second. But I was going to ask in the writer's room, mm-hmm. how do you bring your love for food into a writer's room? What do you do? The love for food that I bring is in um, writer's argue about lunch a lot yeah and there's always someone complaining about the lunch and everyone has such different diet needs and it changes you know month to month sure that i've kind of brought this sort of statement into every room that i go into which is not everyone's gonna like lunch Mm -hmm. every day we pick lunch every day someone's not gonna like it and sometimes it's your day Mm -hmm. and when it's your day just just fucking deal with it and you say this to people <laughs> all the time yeah. and i it has been helpful in the spaces i've gone <laughs> okay good so it's you're sort of like, like the peacemaker i'm like it's yeah i've become the thing that la has taught me food wise is learning how to be diplomatic about That's it great. while also saying all right today's today's my day to love lunch uh-huh. and we are getting jamaican food <laughs> oh really is that what you <laughs> ordered like, yeah, like yeah. something like that that's so fun uh, do you do you bring your your um knowledge of food into into your work i can't stop pitching food jokes yeah if i'm especially on this show because i pitch a lot of sex jokes uh-huh. so i'm on a family show on abc so i can't really work that muscle as much so i'm pitching a lot of food jokes really is there one that you, that you got in that you're proud of or oh i can't remember okay. jokes yeah. anymore that's so fun. the privilege of being a tv writer is that you just forget you any good remember. things that you've done well you can use oklahoma as much or as I little will, as you, you want know what to. i will test it out and i'll let you know oh, how God. it goes and then you're like i just got fired from my job today <laughs> yeah okay where are you going to dinner tonight i don't know but i know where i'm going for drinks okay we start I'm, there i'm going to lono what's that lono is uh like a tiki bar 
on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. That's I know that sounds awful, but it's kind of like a hidden gem because there's a bouncer outside of it, and the tourists are too afraid to like try to see what it is. But it's kind of like a like a fancier, cuter like tiki bar, and they have one of my favorite blended drinks in the world called the Missionary's Downfall, which is like a <laughs> it's a blended mojito <laughs> basically, and. It's genius because at the end of a mojito, it always gets really watery. Yeah. But a blended mojito, it's just perfect the entire time. So but this like really checks wasted. a lot of boxes for you too because it's yeah. like the missionary's downfall. It's like you weren't a missionary, but you were sort of like yeah, part of that traveling. culture. And yeah. you have your downfall. I don't know. And then it's also a missionary's downfall is like I think it's a joke about I I ha- like or drinking drinking and yeah. like oh a missionary probably went and fucked a lot of people. So I feel like. That- <laughs> Well, I never even thought about that. I feel like this should be like a script that you write, like called the missionary's downfall. Oh, I know. And but it also checks sick. the boxes of like frozen, like Sonic drinks. Yeah, Sonic drinks and like islandy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's it's in my interest. I have no idea what I'm doing for dinner. Now, how do you feel about that? Because I feel like in terms of control and like what, like some people want to know what they're doing for well, dinner. Well, tonight is an is an exercise for me and not having a lot of control because my friends are taking me out for like kind of a a late birthday celebration. Mm-hmm. The only thing I asked for was Lono and then wine at somebody's apartment after. So food will happen. I'm hoping it's a taco truck. Okay. So are you not, when you say food will happen, it seems like in this particular instance, the drinks were more important than the food. The drinks will happen, but <laughs> I like to sometimes a lot for uh, spontaneity because I, I've spent so many years being like, I need to go to the, this restaurant. Yes. Eater LA is talking about this. Infatuation is talking about this. And I think I just got tired of being that person. Yeah. So some nights I'll go, like I went to Abernathy's last night, like a pop-up restaurant that's only going to do pop-ups with chefs. Ooh. And that was cool. And then oh, I read about that. And then some nights I just want to like have regular dinner where I don't know what it is and I don't study the menu before I get there. I just want to have a normal dinner it's funny because it's like i'm sort of going on a similar journey like last night craig and i were gonna go out to dinner and then a friend at the last minute invited us over just to come over to his place and order a takeout and, uh-huh. and in in the past i would have been so disappointed i've been like oh we, we were gonna, like I, I had already spent the whole day like because you've spent time deciding what your night was gonna be yeah and but i realize like as i get older like that was about control though that was mm-hmm. about me wanting to control the evening and have going to a friend's place and having food could be just as fun and it was good an evening, but I'm just not going to be in control of it. Right. But it's also like in like deciding what I wanted or like deciding where I wanted to go when things happened. I just kind of like lost what sharing a meal with people was about or going to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like you do kind of want to go and like maybe order something that you didn't think you would. And yeah. maybe it'll go well and maybe it won't. Right. But like if it goes well, like that's a new memory rather than going and trying to decide what you're like. Like – just have dinner. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like at the end of the day, like, food is food. Like, you know, food can be really good. Yeah. Food can be really bad, but it's like, it is a meal, and you you will move on. Right, but when you love it, there's nothing worse than a disappointing meal. I know, yeah. You're like, this was a wasted opportunity. I know, and then it gets me so angry. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else? I'm just trying to think before we end, like, mm-hmm. the shabu-shabu lunch. Do you feel like we analyzed it well? I think I think so. I, I think the general is that it's... I went for something that was comforting mm-hmm. in one of the many uh, food identities that I have adopted into my life. Yeah, I think it does sort of paint a picture. I mean, or it's, it set us up to go on this journey to mm-hmm. hear about your whole life, which was really cool yeah. and amazing. And um, I'm kind of craving a trip to, what was it called? Shabu Shabu? June Shabu Shabu. J-O-O-N. It's great. And the guy who owns it makes his own sauces. 
A lot of places don't. So June, a lot of places just buy the jar. He's making his own sauce and he's proud of it. And it's in Glendale. It's in Glendale. And it's close by. Yes. So you and I should go have a night where we go for um, blended yes. drinks on Hollywood Boulevard yes. and then go to June Shabu Shabu. Yes. And we'll just be peeing a lot because that's we'll a be lot of liquid. So much. Yeah. There'll be so much garlic breath. We'll <laughs> be so happy. Well, I am about to cure your garlic breath with some um, strawberry yes! lemon sorbet. I won. I won the podcast. Yes. Well, Marquita, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is great. 